want to talk about this everlasting life that God has promised for us. And I want to approach it from a different way to how maybe I talked about it in the past. So if you are there, let us open our Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 is uh, written by the Apostle Paul. Romans chapter 5, verse 13. It says, For until the law, sin was in the world. So, essentially it's saying that even before the Ten Commandments, sin was happening. Cain killed Abel, Adam and Eve sinned. All these different things happened. The people during the time of Noah, right, they wouldn't obey. Sodom and Gomorrah happened, right? So sin was in the world. So we, we go back now to the text. So Romans 5.13 For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. So it's saying that before the law came, sin was in the world. But because there was no law, it meant it wasn't really called sin. Right? So there was nobody saying, thou shalt not kill. You know, there was no law to for instance, Cain uh, saying, thou shalt not kill. So, in a sense, then it's like, okay, well, it's not really a sin because there is no law. Right? But we know it's wrong. Right? So, because there was no law, you couldn't really call it sin. But then the law came afterwards. So, Ten Commandments and all the different laws that God gave to Moses to give to the children of Israel that have also been passed down to our generation. And so what the law does is it makes it clear that something is wrong. So now the law says thou shalt not kill. So if somebody goes and kills somebody, then it's clear it's wrong. So the law makes clear what is right and what is wrong. So the law marks as clearly wrong the things that we do that are wrong, that we would not know that are wrong. Somehow I said that in a funny way. So if if we were alive now before the Ten Commandments were happened, there are some things that we might do and we're like, actually, we wouldn't even think they were wrong. So if we saw somebody, and this is, let's say, before the Ten Commandments, if we saw somebody with a nice car and we're like, oh, I want that car. I don't want them to have it. I prefer me to have it. You know, when we start to covet what the other person if we did that, it wouldn't necessarily be wrong because there is no law against it. So we're just, okay, yeah, I want that thing, but there's nothing that says, thou shalt not covet, right? Or you could use the example of, thou shalt not kill. You know, if, if you did that, you wouldn't feel, actually, hold on, am I doing something right or wrong? It doesn't really occur to you in those days. Okay, but now that has changed. The point that I want to make is, because we have the law now, it makes it very clear, this is right and this is wrong. In the past, some people would not have known, okay, is this right, is this wrong? But now, because we have the law, but also because we know the law, we know that this is right and we know that this is wrong. Now, I want to go into the mind of somebody who is an unbeliever. So an unbeliever, they, they have an idea, and some don't actually have an idea. 
So there are some unbelievers, some people who are not Christians, who don't believe in God, you know, they don't even think about whether they believe or not believe in God. They're just existing. There are some who do something and to them they don't even think is it right or wrong. They're not they're not thinking about that. They're just doing it. And so it's possible for that to happen. It's possible for that to be the case. But then the law came and it's like, well, if you do this, you're doing wrong. Right? So there's some of us who know that, who understand that. If you do this, you're doing wrong. But then there's some people who are doing things and they don't even know, is this right or wrong? No idea. They're just, they're just doing it. Right? Okay. So the question is, where did this come from? Where did this doing wrong thing come from because god didn't create us like that god created us in his own image and in his own likeness he created us perfectly so the answer to this and we spoke about this a little bit on sunday is it came from satan it came from the devil the devil in the form of the serpent um, deceived eve told her to eat the fruits of the tree of good and evil, knowledge of good and evil. She ate it, he gave it to Adam, Adam ate it, and that was sin because God told them not to do that, right? And they did it, and that was disobedience. Okay, so where did this tendency to do wrong come from? It came from the devil. So there's no law but you just do something that is wrong and and then sometimes there is a law but you have this thing going on in your mind to do something that is wrong these thoughts now you might not act on the thoughts but you have it and you're like oh will i won't i right will i be angry will i say a bad word will i curse or abuse somebody will I insult somebody now you might not do it but sometimes that thought comes where does that thought come from that's from the devil that's from Satan so for us Christians we have the law we have the nature of Christ we have the example of Jesus Christ so when those thoughts come into our mind we're like hold on should I be doing this? Would Jesus Christ do this? Is this the kind of thing a Christian would do? And so, because we know that law, it tells us this is wrong. If you did this, this would be wrong. If you do this, this would be wrong. If you do this, this would be right. If you do this, this would be wrong. Because we know the law. But it's very important to realize as Christians that there are people in the world that don't know the law. They don't, they don't submit to any law. They just do. There are some people who have an idea what Christianity is, an idea. And there are some people who have no idea. So when they are mean, when they are insulting, when they are saying swear words, when they are saying bad words, it, to them, it, they have no idea because there is no law. There's no knowledge of the law. 
it's only because the law is there that you realize this is wrong, right? So let us move actually then uh, to a different scripture. So we shall go to Romans chapter 7. So just two chapters down, Romans chapter 7. So Romans 7 verse 7, I'll read from the New Living Translation. It says, Well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Because the law has brought this understanding of good and evil. Is the law sinful? No, of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me sin. So this is Romans 7 verse 7 from the New Living Translation. It was the law that showed me sin. So this is what we just talked about. If there is no law, when there was no law before the Ten Commandments, there are people just doing things and they could <laughs> You know, it's like, is this right, is this wrong? They don't know, right? There are people nowadays who are not Christians. They don't understand Jesus. They, 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 it's, they don't understand Jesus. They just don't. They probably know the name somehow. They heard it maybe in school or something like that, or in religion class, or maybe they heard someone saying Jesus about something, you know. That's their only reference to Jesus. So there are some people who actually don't know right from wrong. They're just doing. Children sometimes just do. Right? People who curse, people who insult, people who abuse, people who use swear words. That's just natural to them. There's no... They probably understand about being polite, but they don't understand about the law self-control, guard your mouth, they don't get all that. But it's when you know the law that you're like, oh, hold on, that's wrong. So I'll read this again, Romans 7, 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. Certainly I would not have known sin except through the law. So in fact, it was the law that showed me sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said you must not covet. So then just to go into this one more time. So the law came, thou shalt not covet whatever. Your neighbor's property, your neighbor's wife, husband, so be it. Thou shalt not covet. What the law did was it made it clear that if you covet this is wrong don't do it but then what the law also did was it made sin sinful so to explain that so if you somehow then covet not only have you coveted which is a sin you have actually now broken the law as well so now you're both coveting and disobeying the law. So the law had a way of compounding, making bigger the actual sin. So then Paul is asking here, am I saying that the law of God is imperfect? Is it sinful? No, it's perfect. It actually served to show me what sin is. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said 
you must not correct. So I hope I have explained this well. So the question is, before the law, but then also after the law, this tendency to do wrong, where did it come from? Because human beings were not made like that. They were made in the image and likeness of God. So this ability to curse, this ability to swear, this 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 tendency to insult, this this thing that people do, where did that come from? That came from the devil. That came from Satan, the deceiver. So Satan is many things. One of them is he's the deceiver. So you see this in Revelation 12, verse 9. He is described as the deceiver of the nations. He is also the tempter. And this is somebody that goes around causing temptation. So if you think of the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were just doing their thing, and then someone came. Right, so this is the person that's causing a lot of havoc. So to Matthew 4, and it says, when the tempter came to him, this is talking about when the devil came to tempt Jesus. So the devil is the deceiver and he's the tempter. And also he's the accuser. So the accuser of the brethren. Um, that's mentioned in Revelation 12 verse 10. Now, I just want to go into two things about sin. So, sin found a way to make the things that the law forbids you nice. Let me say it a different way. So, you have the law, you shall not do this. But now there are some people who see you shall not do this. And they're like, hmm. Maybe I will do that. So sin created this forbidden fruit. So now people are like, actually, I want that. Normally, they'll be like, I don't want it because it's sin. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way God created us, that you obey what he says. But now what the law forbids you to do is like a forbidden fruit. And we want that. Just because you're not supposed to have it, you want it. For instance, uh, an example, you can see that somebody is happily married, right? And just because... Actually, an example of this, let's say, is David, King David, with Bathsheba and her husband Uriah. He wasn't even supposed to have anything to do with that woman. But because it was the lure of it, the attraction of it, the thing you're not supposed to have is like, yeah, actually, I, I want that. It's a prize. And that's what sin does. Another thing is sin found a way to make the law a tool for seduction rather than a tool to guide. So the law is supposed to guide you to do this and to do this and to do this. But instead... Sin uses the law as a way of, okay, actually, hold on. Maybe do it. So the law is thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. But rather than allowing the law to be a guide, sin is using the law to be a form of seduction. 
So this idea of forbidden fruits, this idea of seduction, that's what sin is taken. This perfect law, taking it and saying, okay, go and do the things you're not supposed to do. Um, so that's just the foundation of what we're talking about today. Let's go to John 10, 10. John 10, verse 10. We all know this. This is the words of Jesus. So it says, The thief comes not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. The thing that stops us from that life and life more abundantly is sin. But the law is a guide. And now there are two great commandments. Love your neighbor as you love yourself and love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind. So we have these guides. But one thing wants to remove it out of life. Sin. And sin is from the devil. The devil is the deceiver. He's the tempter. And he's the accuser. He's many things. But he's definitely those three. Deceiver, tempter and accuser. Okay, so let's look at John 10, 10 again. The thief comes not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. What is he stealing? Well, he's stealing what God said. He's stealing that understanding, that knowledge and the wisdom. He's taking it. He doesn't want you to have it. We have God's word in the Bible. We have God's words that he said to us in our sleep. When we were praying in church, it's in there. The devil is coming to steal. He's not coming to steal your car. He's coming to steal the word from you. He's coming to steal the word so that you say the wrong thing. Rather than say what God said, you say the wrong thing. When you say the wrong thing, it's because the devil has stolen the right thing from you. So he's come to steal. And what is he stealing? He's stealing the word. He's not stealing your car. He's not stealing your jewelry. He's not stealing your cutlery. He's stealing the word of God. That's it. Because he has no use for your car. He has no use for your jewelry. He has no use for... It's the word. There are enough people out there who are serving the devil. He can use their car and their jewelry and their cutlery if he wants. He doesn't need from you. He, all he wants to do is take the word away from you. The devil has come to kill. So he steals the word and then he kills. Now, what does it mean to kill? To kill means, and you need to see it in the context of life and life more abundantly. So I know the scripture says the thief comes not but to steal, kill and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. But actually the intention has always been everlasting life. Because everyone that is saved, everyone that has faith has everlasting life. So ever before the steal, sorry, the, the thief was coming to steal, kill, and destroy, the plan always was everlasting life. So what does kill mean? Kill means that you die. 
here. That you, your life is shortened. That you do not prosper. That you are not in health. That you suffer. That's what kill means. And then, the thief comes not but to steal, kill, and destroy. Destroy is the eternal part. Because life and life more abundantly. Life and life more abundantly. Life and life more abundantly. Kill and destroy. Destroy refers to eternal. So actually, if you look at John 10 verse 10, there are three time zones. And I know we've been traveling a lot as a church. Some of us went to Mauritius, some of us have gone to other places, Dubai, France, who knows where. Um, well, in John 10, 10, there are three time zones. The thief comes to steal. He's stealing the present. At some point in the future, if he steals enough of the word from you, he will kill you. And then, once you're killed, in the very eternity, the very future, eternity, that's destruction. Three time zones in John 10, 10. The present, the future, the eternal. Steal the word now to kill you in the future and then to remove eternal life forever. We cannot let that happen. But Jesus has come that we may have life now. And the thing about life in Christ is that it's not just life, it's eternal life. So he wants us to have life now, life in the future, and life in eternity. Life now, life in the future, and life in eternity. Okay. James 4 verse 7 says, submit to God. Submit to God. So James 4 verse 7. So submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So the thief comes to steal, kill, destroy. When he comes, first thing, submit yourselves to God. Don't just resist, first submit. Submit means, okay Lord, this is what you are saying over my life. Okay, sure, your will be done. I accept that. Then resist, and he will flee. An example, so the devil came to Jesus and was like, oh yeah, Turn this stone to bread. And Jesus was like, Mash and not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So in that, he is submitting that we live by God, and then he said it. So you submit to the plan, and then you say it with your mouth. You submit to the plan, you say it with your mouth. And that's all you need to do. And if you read it then, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, one of the things we know as Christians is that when we say with the mouth, we must believe. With the heart man believes, with the mouth confession is made. You need to believe. So when it says submit yourselves to God, believe that, then say. And what you say, believe that. And don't do any more than that. 
Because what the Bible is saying, this here is actually, it's like, it's like when uh, you do chemistry, you add this and you add this and you get this. Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and you'll flee. So when you do those two things, you don't have to actually do any more. It doesn't say resist the devil twice, resist the devil three times. It doesn't say, I bind you, I bind you, I bind you, I bind you, I bind you. It just says, resist the devil and go about your business. So submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, let's look at, I know that time is gone, so I will cut down on this now. Let's open our Bibles to Isaiah 14, 14. Um, Isaiah 14, 14, it says, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. So if you read from 12 uh, to 15, it kind of gives a little kind of synopsis about the devil and, you know, Satan and what happened to him back in those days and what will happen to him in the future. Anyways, one of the things that the devil did while he was an angel in heaven was like, I will be like the most high. He wanted to be like God. He wanted to, but you know, it's we are told to imitate Christ. But the way the devil wants to imitate is a different way. It's the wrong way. He wanted to be greater than God. He wanted to be God himself and God would be less. But that's not the way. The Christian way is we submit to God. The way of the devil is, I want to be like God. I want to be better than him. I want him to serve me. And that way always leads to disaster and demise and death. Now, if we then go to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 is talking about the temptation of Jesus Christ. And this is where Jesus Christ talks about man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word comes out of the mouth of God. It's also the same in Matthew chapter 4. Um, so, anyways, Luke chapter 4, 1 to 13. You can read it in your own spare time. I, I want you to imagine this Jesus was led to the wilderness. I'm not, don't take me literally, but I want you to imagine this. That picture of Jesus when he's about to go about his work. An example is when God created Adam and Eve. He set them in the garden and then he commanded them and they were to go and do their work. Anyways, so Jesus was set there and then he was to go and begin his work. You're, it's, it's a type of Eden. Just a setting. Now, I know he's going to the wilderness. But it's it's a type of because he's going to be tempted, and it's a similar thing that happened in the Garden of Eden. They were in this place and they were going to be tempted. So you can see a kind of similarity. These these Adam and Eve on one hand in a place and the devil was coming, and Jesus on one hand in a place and the devil was coming. I want you to. Continue now imagining. So, God created Adam. He saw that he was alone. He created Eve. 
they were together. At some point, this serpent comes along. The question I think, and I don't know if many have asked this question, and I'm sure people have asked it, where did the devil come from? So my understanding of it is he had always been there. And we know from various scriptures that the devil is kicked out of heaven. One of the places where he is is on earth. He's walking to and fro. He's just roaming. So Adam and Eve are created, but they are created with the understanding and with the permission from God that the devil is there. They are given a command and they are expected to obey that command. Don't eat from that tree. So Adam and Eve were created, placed in the garden. But whether the devil was in that garden or not, I, I can't tell you exactly. I can't tell you how big that garden was. But one thing is certain, he was on earth. And eventually he made his way to the serpent and the serpent made its way to Eve. Now, if God didn't want the devil to be on earth, he would have put him elsewhere. So the devil came over, spoke to Eve, and we know how the story went. Now we look at Jesus. If God didn't want Jesus to be tempted, he wouldn't have let him go to the wilderness. He wouldn't have let him there. He wouldn't have allowed the devil to go near him. It is my understanding, and I, that's what I take from it, that in putting Adam and Eve in the garden, they were supposed to be tempted, but they were supposed to survive it. They were supposed to not fall for it. Faith has to be tested. Anyway, so Jesus was in the wilderness and the devil tempted him with the three different temptations. Turn the stone to bread, throw yourself down from the high building and the angels will catch you. Look at all the nations, bow down to me and you can have it. It didn't work. Then we look at verse 13. So Luke chapter 4 verse 13. And it says, And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. That there is the limitation of the devil. One of many. God is faithful and consistent and steadfast. The devil is not. Because he comes and then he has to go. He's walking to and fro on the earth looking for who to devour. <laughs> but the fact of it is he can't waste too much time on one person. He has to move on. And that is an encouragement to us. Because we have the word of God. We have God's love. We have his will for our lives. So we submit to the will. We submit to the love. We faith. We believe. We speak. Resist. He goes. For a season. The same with Job. After a season, he had to go. He did this thing. Then he had to go. And the fact of it is, he's looking for who to devour. And if he has no luck with you, he's going to leave you and find somewhere else. He will try again a different time, but he's not going to stay forever. He can't stay forever because he's losing business. That's the limitation of the devil. So Job 1 verse 7, you don't have to go there. Um, the devil came to God and God asked him, where have you been? And he said, well, I've been walking to and fro on the earth. In 1 Peter 5 verse 8, same thing. He's just... Peter describes him doing the same thing, walking to and fro. 
And if you look at it in Job 1 verse 6, he comes to God because he's, he's a subject. He's not big. He's not old. He's, he's clay. And God is the potter. He was created. He has to come and report. He has to come and bow down. Okay, let's continue. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 10. And now we're just talking about the limitations of the So 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, it says, There has no temptation taken you but such as is common to man, but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. So what does that say? This is very important. There is no temptation that can come to you except what is common to man. The devil cannot do anything imaginable. Everything he does is common. Everyone has gone through it. Everyone will go through it. You will go through it. Your kids will go through it. Your grandkids will go through it. There is no imagination. There is no temptation that can take you except what is common to man. It's common. It's not special. That's who we are dealing with. The devil, this deceiver, this tempter, this accuser nothing special no imagination when he was cast out of heaven he lost all that he's been living in darkness for a very long time it's the same way we say lord without you i'm nothing without god he is absolutely nothing he has no imagination so there's no temptation that has taken you except that is common to man but god is faithful and will not suffer you to be tempted above so when Adam and Eve were tempted and they were supposed to be, there was a way of escape. The word. This is what God said. Submit yourself to him. Resist and he will flee. There was a way of escape, but they just didn't take it. You won't be tempted more than what you can handle. It says it here. What Eve encountered, she was able for it. But so be it. Anyways, we are going to leave it there. So when we go through things in life and the, we see, uh, it's like, oh, the devil is wicked. The wickedness is just, is, the, is reflecting his pain because he knows he's defeated. He knows he has lost. This is the same person who's in how many years, I don't know, in the future, still going to try and fight God through the Antichrist and through all these different things. But it, he's just deceiving people. But he already knows he's lost. This is the same person who has to go and report to God. Still. He's lying to people. And it's still the same thing. There's no imagination. Now, this is an important thing. So, he cannot touch God. He cannot touch us. But what he's doing is... He's fighting what's... I don't know if you've heard, it's called a proxy war. So, I'm just giving an example now, I don't mean any of this. So think of the biggest nations in the world, America and China, right? Now think of two nations that are linked with America and China. So let's say a smaller nation like, let's say Ukraine, let's say, and then a smaller nation like uh, Libya. So let's say that Ukraine is controlled by America and Libya is controlled by China. So 
if Libya and Ukraine start fighting each other, actually the people that are fighting, in a sense, are actually America and China. So they are using the smaller nations to do their business, to do their fighting. Right? What the devil is doing is, he cannot touch God. But his way of touching God is the people that God loves. He's trying to He's, he's, he's trying to fight God through them. He hurts them to somehow hurt God. The devil is hurting us to hurt God. God so loves us. The devil knows that. And so everything he's doing is to destroy us, to steal, kill, and destroy. Heaven rejoices when a sinner is saved. There is also sadness when a sinner is lost. And so the devil is just trying to create sadness in heaven. That's it. But otherwise, he actually cannot win. He's just doing these things, temporary things, small things. So if the devil is limited, then all those who follow him, demons, principalities and powers, rulers of darkness of this world, they are also limited. So anybody who is causing you trouble for no reason, just causing you trouble, just being, whether in the past, in the present, they don't have imagination. There's nothing that they can do. That is different. David, King David has gone through it. Daniel, when he was thrown in the lion's den, he's gone through it. Jesus went through it. Paul went through it. The apostles went through it. There's nothing anybody in this world can do to you. That is new. That is special. So, I want you to... I don't know if you've been encouraged by this, but I want you to take encouragement from it. That you are serving a God who wants you to have eternal life, life and life more abundantly. Submit to him, resist the devil, he will flee from you. You don't have to worry. Psalm 119, many scriptures, talks about, oh, people are doing this, people are saying this, but I put my trust in you. That's, that's how to live life. And let us train our kids and our families to do the same. So, I'm going to do something different that I, I haven't done before. I will. I, I have um, a statement here. I'll say it, and if you're there, you can repeat it. And then um, we'll finish, and then I'll ask somebody to pray for us. So, um, I will say the quote, and as I say it, please repeat after me, and then we'll finish. So, as a child of God, I have the power of God in me. I have his life in me. I have his words and authority in the Bible and everything the Father says to me. I have Jesus Christ who is alive forevermore. I have Holy Spirit who is my comforter and guide. I am already living in eternal life. 
devil is already living in eternal death. Jesus Christ wins in the end, which means I win in the end. God the Father loves me. Jesus Christ the Son loves me. Holy Spirit loves me. With every passing moment, my life gets so much better. From this moment, my life gets better. Help me, O oh God, to choose you in every decision. Thank you, Almighty God, for your love and your mercy. Sin and death is finished. In Jesus' name.